right, if you have your Bibles, open them up already for Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse number 11. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you, don't be shy. Raise your hand. Mike's going to bring you a Bible. Um, I use the New King James Version. If you have it on your app or your tablet, um, your iPhone, um, if you want to follow along in the same version that I'm in, you can get, uh, it's the New King James Version. Part of uh, what I want to encourage us as a church culturally is just to bring your Bible to church on Sunday. I think it, it improves, it enhances, it helps your Christian living and walk that if, you know, you have that Bible, my hope is that if the same Bible you bring to church with you every Sunday and you mark in it, you highlight it, then you have it on the counter during the week, you open it, you read it, and you, you, you make that, that Bible with pages you can turn a part of your everyday living. Encourage you guys, you know, one of the things we, we do as a church, and we're, we're unashamed of it, and we really believe it's one of the most important things for you as a Christ follower, is we encourage you to read your Bible and pray every day, to try to go through the Bible in 365 days, um, annually, every year. One of the things I think it's difficult if you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, uh, I think a mistake I think sometimes we make is we open to, to Genesis and we say, I'm going to read all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, which is a great idea. My wife does it every year. She's done it for the last 15 years, but she's you know, mature in that and has done it and took a season. But what happens is if you just open and you're new to the Bible and you start in Genesis and you start to read, by the time you get to Leviticus and Numbers, you know, you bog down and then the whole thing goes awry. So if you're brand new, I always encourage you to start in the New Testament, read around in the New Testament, bounce around a little bit, read the New Testament, then, then hit some highlights in the Old Testament and work your way up to the point where, where every year you're reading Genesis to Revelation. Amen? I give that announcement about once a month, just encouraging us to read our word. So um, chapter 4, last, last week, just in recap, we, we talked about and what the Apostle Paul or the writer of Hebrews is encouraged us in. How many of you guys were here last week? Okay. Um, so I don't know if you guys remember, you probably forgot by the time you got to the parking lot what, what we talked about last week, right? But it was about resting in Jesus, that true rest only comes in Jesus, and that, and that all the, the, the fulfillment, and, you know, we, we look at rest, when we think of the word rest, what comes to mind? Vacation or, or break or, or sitting on the t- on front of the couch and, you know, vegging on Netflix for, for eight hours and watching your entire series. And that when, when I need rest, maybe those are some of the things that come to mind. And in chapter 4, uh, the writer of Hebrews is, is reminding us that, that real rest and the only rest and true rest, it comes in Jesus. That, that, that as we need what really fulfills, you know, vacation, to be honest, is not rest, right? What do you do when you go on vacation? What do you guys like to do? What I like to do when I, when I get vacation is I like to go to the beach and surf and body surf and, and play, you know, volleyball on the beach. And it's work, you know, everything we do, we pack everything up to the, to the sand and we pack it to the car. And, you know, the last thing we're doing, it's not necessarily rest or relaxation. We may go skiing or you know, we may go hunting or fishing, but it's, it's work. It's not necessarily rest. When we plan a vacation, we do it um, to have fun. But that's not really the, the heart of what the Bible here in Hebrews 4 is talking about when he uses the term rest. The term rest is something for your soul. It's something that only will fulfill that need in you to, to be charged up again, to grow. You know, we do a Wednesday night Bible study, and a lot of you guys may not know this because you never show up, but... Um, <laughs> Um, Wednesday nights, I teach through the Old Testament. Sunday mornings, I teach through the New Testament. I'm super um, excited that we're, we're reaching the point now. We planted this church about six years ago, and I'm super excited that we're reaching the point where on Sunday mornings, we will have gone through all 27 
um, books in the New Testament, every chapter, every verse. I'm moving a little slower in the Old Testament. It's going to take me a little longer to get through the Old Testament. But at some point, we will have taken to Willow Springs Calvary Chapel through the entirety of God's Word. Amen? So as we do that, you know, with Wednesday night, it's like it's that kind of weekly, midweek refilling that we need. You know, a lot of folks that come on Wednesday nights, it's like, you know, I need this this middle of the week charge to to get the word of God, to grow in the word of God, to get that rest in Jesus. Amen. All right. So that brings us to verse number 11. And it says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. I love it in the King James Version. It says, let us work hard to enter into that rest. It seems like an oxymoron to work hard to rest. But, but the author of Hebrews is talking about since this rest that God offers you in Jesus, that, that you and I should be diligent to enter that rest, that we should desire and seek this rest that God offers. And listen, it doesn't just naturally happen. You know, it doesn't, your, your walk in Christ, Paul's going to get on to here in a minute. He's going to talk about your life as a Christian as, as a, a baby grows. And he's going to talk about that, that you've been a Christian for a long time and you, 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 um, you know, that Paul's going to regret that he has to, the particular Christians that he's, that he's teaching, that he has to feed them again with milk. And he's going to say, by now you should be teaching others, but I'm having to continue to, to give you milk or go back to milk. And Paul's a little discouraged that, that a group of people were not growing in Jesus and their Christian faith to be diligent, to enter this rest. He's going to use a term in the end of this chapter, chapter that says a skillful um, worker or skillful, skillful in the things of the word. And, and that skill in the things of the word, it, it, it comes with, with a diligence of pressing into Jesus. When you're born or a baby's born, for the most part, babies are going to grow into adults with a very few um, minor, you know, if you give them milk and food and you feed them and you know, you clothe them, you, you grow. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're, you mature um, in your maturity, but your body's physically going to grow. Well, the Bible uses this as an example of, of you and I in spiritual growth. And when you became born again, and you know, some of you may have a moment, a day. For me, it was in March of 1994. I remember the day that I became a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. The day that I asked Jesus in my heart. Does anybody have that day marked somewhere? Do you know it? Do you know like the day you became Okay, so that was your spiritual birth. You were an infant in Christ at that time. You asked Jesus in your heart for the first time, you became born again. And now 10 years later, you're, you're 10 years old in, in dog years. No, you're 10 years older in, in your faith, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've matured to, the, to where a 10-year-old should be. You guys follow that? Okay, so the Bible says... And Paul talks about this and uses this as an example that our spiritual growth, unlike a baby who just naturally in 10 years is going to be 10 years old, that you may have asked Jesus in your heart 10 years ago, but maybe you didn't do anything to grow. You didn't do the things that you needed to do to mature in Christ. And Paul's a little discouraged with these folks. And he says, you know, it would be like, um, you know, if... If I take us, and if as a church we, we spent and we've labored, and I'll tell you, walking through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through some sections of the Bible, it, it's, it's work, and it's not the most entertaining and, and fun thing to do all the time. It's laborious as we go through and we march through certain sections and chapters. You know, the next week, um, I'm going to be on vacation next week, 
and, and we're going to be ready for Hebrews chapter 6. And I'll tell you, Hebrews chapter 6 is one of the most difficult chapters in all the Bible. And I'm thinking, I was told Lydia this morning, I said, oh, praise God, I get two weeks to prepare for chapter 6. Because, and when we get to chapter 6, I'm just going to tell you, look, I don't know. Some things in here, I, I just don't know. You know, and when I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. And, 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 and as we, you know, we, we just, we grow in Christ, we, we get these concepts. And Paul says, um, I, I shouldn't be having to go back and teach you these elementary things. And what I was getting to, I was going to say a second ago, was that, you know, it would be frustrating for us, right, if we had gone through, and let's say we get to that mark, and we've taken you through the entire Bible, and we've labored through all of these points. And we come on a Sunday morning and you're like, oh, what is that? What is what does that mean? How do you get baptized? And what is the salvation and what is sanctification? And, you know, and, and you've just not got anything. It would be frustrating, be frustrating as a community that we we spent time laboring and growing and, and working through the word of God for nobody to grow. Amen. So that's kind of in context what Paul's going to be encouraging us to do. So the encouragement is for us to be diligent to, to enter into this rest. Now, now as verse 11 um, is continuing in the, in the process of rest, look at verse number 12. It would seem that Paul takes a hard left all of a sudden. And he says, um, For the word of God, somebody say the word of God, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hey, let's try something. I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pause, and I want you guys to pick up and read and tell the comma. So you'll stop when you see a comma. You'll pick up when I pause. You ready? Let's try it. Out loud. For the word of God, and sharper than, piercing even to the division And joints and marrow, sorry, and joints, and is a discerner. Okay, you guys did awesome. Let's try once again. You pick up where I pause and you stop at the comma. For the word of God and sharper, piercing even to the division and joints and is a discerner. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. So Paul is encouraging you to grow in your faith, to be diligent, to enter the, the things that Jesus has for you. Um, when I was uh, a new believer in Christ, I, I got saved and I was um, I, I moved in with a Christian family, the same Christian family who years earlier had led me to Jesus. They were in my neighborhood in L.A. where I grew up and um, my best friend's name was Jason and Jason's parents, when he got to ninth grade, they didn't want Jason and his brothers and sisters to, um, get married and settle down and, and, and plant roots in LA and their hearts were always to get out. So in ninth grade, Jason's family made a move. And when I became a Christian at 20 years old, I saw a relationship with Jason and I moved into his house and, and we, um, and I began to grow in Jesus there. It was my early years, my formative years as a believer in Christ. And, and at the time, the, um, Jason and his family were going to some um, Pentecostal church that was meeting in a hotel lobby. And um, some of the folks that, that, that God put in my circle at the time, very quickly after I got there, um, we changed churches. His parents changed churches. We went with them. But they went over to a little church in, um, closer to the house and it was called Calvary Chapel Val Vista. 
And I had come from a Calvary Chapel, and I ended up there, and I was in Calvary Chapel, and left there and went to a Calvary Chapel, and that's how I kind of got Calvary Chapel. But in that season, with some of the folks that were um, kind of mentoring me in those days, there was, um, you know, and I don't know, I'm trying to be careful, but just to be honest, there was a real lack of maturity of some of the adults that were there because, and many of them had walked with the Lord for a lot of years. And, and God gave me a verse in, in that season, and I remember it, I was using an NIV Bible at the time, it was the first Bible that somebody gave me, and the, the, the way it's worded in the NIV is that God will give you an understanding that surpasses that of your elders. And I can remember some of the, the, the faith, um, um, happy, healthy, wealthy teaching that was that was surrounding me and some of the folks that had been walking with Jesus for 30 years, but reality was were very immature in their faith. They, they just hadn't grown. And, and, and again, not to judge these people, they loved Jesus. They were good people and, and, and God loved them any different than you and I, and their salvation was secure and all those things, not to say that, but, but just hadn't been in a position where they, they did what verse 11 tells you and I to do, which is to seek that rest of Jesus diligently and that how much you grow in your faith and how much you grow in your maturity and your knowledge of God depends on you. And then, and then it's, not, um, by, it's not by accident. It's, not by, it, it's by every reason that verse 12 then Paul goes to because it seems like it doesn't fit, right? Because in verse, the first 11 verses and then the rest of the verses, Paul's talking about this rest in Jesus. And, and, and all of a sudden, right capped in the middle, we have one of the most powerful verses in all of the New Testament about the power of the Word of God, about the reliability of the Word of God. I made you guys read it. We read it three times to let it digest a little bit. But to say of the Bible that it is powerful, the Word of God is living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow that the so sharp that it could divide the marrow from your bones i mean that's microscopic in its in its in its working in your heart and life the word of god that, that there's a difference a discerner between the soul and the spirit paul makes a difference and he makes a, a, a distinction you know when we worship jesus said the father is looking for those who worship him in what in truth and spirit, in spirit and in truth. And there's a distinction in the Bible between spirit and soul. And I don't got it all figured out yet. It's not really my thing. But, um, but, but I know and I see here where, where Paul makes a distinction. We see in other places where he makes a distinction. I think for us, sometimes we, we kind of jumble the two together, soul and spirit. Worship can be very soulful. Worship is something that ministers to our soul, and it comes from our soul. But, but there's a joy in, in just music that can be soulful. And then there's another level of worship that's spiritual, that, that God, as he, as he looks across the room, and when Jesus said the Father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and truth, that means every Sunday morning as you come and you begin to worship God in this house, that the Father is scanning the room and certain individuals are sticking out to him because they are making the distinction and they're worshiping him. And as he sees their hearts, he sees that they're worshiping him in spirit. There's a depth of worship that comes from your heart that God recognizes and looks for. How many of you guys, when the Father showed up this morning, and, he, and, he, and as Jesus said, the Father is seeking for those who worship Him in spirit and truth. You want Him to highlight you and find you this morning. Amen? And, and you know what? It can't, it can't be manufactured. You know, I, 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 I want it to be sincere and honest, but I want to be emotional in worship. I like to be emotional and demonstrative. 
You know, Calvary Chapel, our style is that everything should be done decently and in order. So we try to control that a little bit and maybe too much at times. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't want it to be manufactured, but I do. I, and I, I try to find that place where, where my spirit is connecting to God. And one of the things that helps me is there's a line in a song and, and, it, and I've heard, I've heard um, worship leaders, people remind us from time to time, and they say, sing to him, sing to God, sing to, reminding us that as we sing, we're singing to God. You know, sometimes I think if somebody's new to like church culture, and especially me, right, because I stand on the front row and I raise my hands, and Eva Sue's standing about right here, you know, and I'm standing right in front of her, and I'm like this, you know, like they're like, what's that guy doing to that lady, you know? <laughs> My hands are raised to the worship team, you know, like, it, have I, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's as unto the Lord, right? And that we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And so um, the Father is looking for those. But the Word of God, listen, and, and not to lose context, we're talking about the Word of God. Paul says the Word of God is able to tell the difference. The Word of God is able to divide bone and marrow. That, that as you're to be diligent to grow in your faith, that it's the Word of God. And, and listen, the Word of God is what? It's living. Listen, if the Bible is living, and we know already, right? You, you folks have been around long enough. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus is the Word. And, and so as the Word of God is living, listen, there is no mistakes in your Bible. Okay, there's no problem with your Bible. It's alive. You know what? You know what God does with your living body if there's a mistake. If, if I cut you today, what is God going to do with that cut on your arm by next week? He's going to heal it. He's created something within a living body to heal and touch itself. You don't think the Word of God that's a living would would heal itself and fix itself and has? And listen, there's no problems with the Word of God. It, it's not only good in as much as it's been translated correctly. That's a deception and a lie of Satan. And the first thing that Satan goes after is the word of God. The first lie of Satan was what? Did God really say in his word? Did the word of God really say you can't eat of the tree? The very first lie of Satan was to attack the word of God. You know what Satan's still doing today in every cult and ism and schism all around the world in order to defend lies? Attacking the word of God. Changing the word of God. It can be very simple. Anything that changes it. But listen, I just want to tell you this. The, the, the Bible that you have on your lap today, it's reliable. You can trust it. It, it has no problems. It has no errors. It's not missing in translation. Did, did the God of heaven, how many of you guys, you know, it's a little example I use from time to time, and I, I got to get on with it, but how many of you guys, let's pretend for a minute. You know, I think it was my pastor who said, I'm positive of two things in this world. Number one is there is a God, and number two, you're not him. I said, okay, fair enough. No, I'm not a God, nor will I ever be a God. Okay? But let's pretend, just for a minute, for our little analogy, that each one of us, that we could be God. And let's say us and you as God, you decide that you were going to create um, human beings. You designed a body that would live forever in the flesh. And then Adam and Eve messed that up. So by the grace of God, you shortened the life to 900 years for a season, and now about 100 years. And... Um, 
and, and he designed a body with a drug store inside of it that would provide all the chemicals and everything that it needed and a perfect body that would heal itself. And then you, you put it on a planet and you created a sun to provide heat and, and you put it the perfect distance from the earth, not too close to burn them up, not too far to freeze them. And then just for fun, you created a, an atmosphere and a universe around it in perfect harmony that... Um, that, that, that was so vast that, that we can't even measure it and explain it. And then you said that you, you put everything in orbit with a flick of your finger and you measured it with a span of your hand and, and you did all that. No problem. But the one thing you can't do as God is you can't write some letters on a page that are good in 2019. Somewhere along the line, you just messed that up. Listen, if you're God, preserving your word is not a problem. Right. And, and again, I, I say that I don't want to serve a God that can't preserve his own word. And if God can't preserve his own word, he's a little God. And I don't care. You know, and I've heard the arguments. Oh, well, men got involved and men translated. I don't care if it's the word of God, if it's living, if it's sharper than a two edged sword, then either God can defend it or he can't. And if God can't, we, we got a small guy and we got a big problem. But God can defend his word. There's nothing wrong with it. And it is why he points us to the word Paul does after he encourages us to grow in our faith. Amen. And there is no creature, verse 13, hidden from his sight. But all things are, everybody say, naked. Don't say naked in church. What's wrong with you folks? And open to the eyes of him who we must give account. Just real simply, verse 13, um, you can't hide anything from God. Obviously, we know that. That all things are naked and open before the Lord. You know what, I, I encourage people at times just to be honest with God. If you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're, you know, rather than be silent or just be in your own misery, come to God and tell God exactly how you're feeling. Why? Because he, he knows anyways. And, and I mean, I, I don't encourage you to be disrespectful or rude, but definitely honest. God, I'm frustrated. This is bothering me. I, I'm struggling with this issue. There's an eight-year-old girl that's dying of cancer, and I don't understand how that fits into your plan. I don't understand how, how that brings you glory, and it's bothering me. And you can be open and naked before the Lord, and you can talk to him, and you can, you can tell him the things that are troubling you and the things that you think are injustices in his, in, his, in his kingdom and in his sovereignty, and just be open and honest before the Lord because he knows. You know, the Bible says that, that just know this, that your sins will find you out. That you can have, you know, there's really no such thing as a secret sin because nothing's a secret to God. And yes, you can hide sin from your coworkers, from your neighbors, from your church folks. And, um, and sometimes for a season and sometimes because of the love of God, you know, if you have Christian kids, why, you know, Christian kids always get caught. Everybody else, you know, all the heathen kids in the neighborhood, they get away with everything, you know. And your kids get caught with everything. Like, how oh, come I always get caught? Nobody else does. It's because God loves you. Because God, God's not going to let you get away with that trash. Because your sins will find you out. Everything is naked and open before the Lord. I don't know why this is just because your pastor's got problems, you guys. But when I read this verse, I always think of that. And maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm saying something about myself that I shouldn't. But, you know, I remember having this dream when I was a kid that I was, like, in school and it was butt naked and I couldn't find clothes and I was running around. Anybody? No. All right. I hear, I really, honestly, I heard that's a really common dream that I'm not alone. No, Nobody? <laughs> okay, there was a few that were honest. That, but yeah, I actually read somewhere that that, and I don't know what it means, if it's a subconscious thing or insecurity or something, but I was at Jane Adams Junior High. I kept having that dream there. All right. Yeah. All right. So it says, um, where are we at? No, I'm kidding. Verse 15, 14. Seeing then 
have a great high priest. Somebody say high priest. High priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Now, um, in context, you guys, and listen, the reason why we want to we read the Bible, teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is because it adds a, a level of... Um, of, of what we call context. And you, without context, you're going to miss. There's lots of little um, lessons within Hebrews chapters 1 through 4 so far that we've covered that, you know, like the Word of God, that, that verse um, 412. We could spend a week and unpack that and look at other places in the Bible where the Bible says the Bible's reliable, where Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But it, when, we, when we catch it in context, then it, it helps reveal another layer of, of something that's there, okay? So um, the Bible has a near and a far uh, fulfillment. This is what this means. This is what this means. Paul, or I keep saying Paul, it's okay, right? You understand that Jesus wrote it. We don't know the human author. Believe it was Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. But um, the writer of the Hebrews, he's writing to a specific audience of his day. And it was a letter. The, 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 the books in the Bible are called letters or epistles, and they're literal letters that Paul wrote and, and sent to a city, a church, a group of people. They were, they were copied, and then they were, they were distributed. And that's why the, the, part of the reason, one of the grammatical or one of the historical reasons why we have so much evidence for the New Testament is because those letters were copied meticulously, and they've been kept through um, antiquity. And we have over um, 6,000 um, copies of the originals in the Greek. The closest um, manuscript of any, anybody of that time that we have today is like 200, and that number is huge. After that, it goes like 40 and 30 original copies of the manuscripts. The Bible has over 5,500 5, of the Greek New Testament alone, 20,000 when you add the Aramaic and the Latin. And so it's not, a, it's not an issue of original manuscripts. We have all that. But Paul distributed these letters, and the folks read them. So the people in his day, it, it was relevant to them in that moment. And, and here we are 2,000 years later, and it has, uh, it's still as relevant to us, that the Holy Spirit has quickened it to our hearts. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make in reading the Bible is to say, because we'll open a, a really big Pandora's box. So we do want to understand culturally and contextually what the receivers of the letters in the day understood. But listen. What we don't want to do, and we've got to be careful for, is we don't want to discount that something that was just relevant for the first century and not for us today. For example, there, there was um, somebody recently who said that um, they wished that more women would be leaders and pastors and teachers in the church. And I showed him a verse in, in Timothy where Paul says, I forbid a woman to teach a man. And I asked them, I said, is, how do you take that verse in light of your, your comment about more women leading in the church? And they said, well, that was relevant for, for an issue they were having in the first century when Paul wrote that, but it doesn't apply to today. Whoa, hold on. We got a huge problem if that's your approach. To, to context, because where does that Pandora's box, where do you put the lid on that? Is that only then that verse, or what other verses do you apply that logic to? The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. 
Oh, no, I like to drink. That didn't apply to that today. Just the first century. They had a problem with drinking in the first century, but no, not today. I can, I can drink today. Like, where do you, where do you draw the line, right? So, so the Bible has a near and a far, but, but it's still relevant for us today. But to the people Paul was writing to, they live, and this is something we've unpacked as we've walked through the letter to the Hebrews um, many times, but again, every week to somebody maybe doesn't know, I'll try to catch them up just a little bit, that um, this is written before A.D. 70. What happened in A.D. 70 that was significant? The temple was destroyed. So the same temple that Jesus was dedicated in, the same temple that, that, that was there in Jesus' day where he turned over the tables, the same temple where the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom, it would still be there for another 40 years after Jesus died. Do you know what they did with the veil of the temple that rent from top to bottom after Jesus died? Nobody? They sewed it back up and hung it back up where it was and continued with the same practices for another 40 years until AD 70 when Titus Vespasian and the Roman army sacked the city of Jerusalem and completely destroyed the temple of Solomon, overturning every stone so that not one stone was left upon another. And not since that day has there been another temple um, in Israel. The Jews want to rebuild it, and they will because there's a fulfillment in the book of Revelation that there will be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem on Temple Square next to today where the Dome of the Rock is. But there was, no, there was still in the time of this writing a temple. And because there was a temple, there was a people that grew up um, with a high priest and was very normal. They grew up under the law of Moses, and rightfully so. And they would, they would go to the high priest, and the high priest would make atonement for their sins. And they would sacrifice lambs, and hundreds of thousands of lambs every year in Passover would be presented at the temple to represent you and your family. And the high priest would take your lamb, and he would cut the throat of the lamb, and he would take the blood of the lamb, and he would sprinkle it upon the altar. And, and ceremonially, that would cover your sins. And this would still be going on. And if you had a problem as a young person and you came to your parents and you said, Mom, what do you think about this? Or Dad, it would be very common for them to say to you, go ask the rabbi. Go to the temple and seek the priest and his wisdom and his advice. And, and we had this, this, this office of a priest, a go-between, a human being that God placed in between us and him. But when Jesus died on the cross, and again, we miss the significance of this, the veil of the temple rents from top to, top to bottom. This function for us, we've grown up in a day where we don't have that function anymore, and we don't have a high priest. My kids have always grown up knowing they go directly to Jesus. When they come to me and they ask me, you know, just this week, my son texts me and my oldest, and he said, hey, Dad, there's something going on. He's on the golf team at the high school. And he said, there's a tournament, an event going on at the high school. It's Sunday morning. He said, do you mind if I miss church this week because they want me to work this event? And I replied to him. I said, what did Dad say? He's like, okay, I'll pray about it. Dad must have said yes because he's not here. But um, he actually came to the 9 o'clock early service. But he, he grew up. Um, being directed and pointed directly to Jesus. Now, if you didn't grow up that way, you might miss some of this. You know, if you grew up with a high priest there. So Paul, again, as we know, is making a case through Hebrews that, that Jesus is greater than all the factions that were in play in Judaism. All the things that the Hebrew Christians of his day would look to and would know as godly, that, that Jesus was better than them all. Paul already said that Jesus was better than who? Does anybody remember an example? He's better than Moses. He was better than Aaron in the Levitical priesthood. And here he is saying, he's going to get to Melchizedek, and here he's saying that, that Jesus 
is better than the current high priest. And Jesus is a different high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who let us hold fast our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Hey, just write if you take notes, 1 Corinthians 10.13, next to verse 15. That's the verse where God says, with anything you've been tempted, he's given you a way out. So just know this. If you fall, if you have a sin in your life, just know that, that God has always given you an exit door, a way to get out. You can't say at the end of it, all, oh, I was tempted by the devil and I didn't have a choice and I just fell into that sin. Nobody falls into sin. You walk into sin. Okay? And, and we all do. I do. We do. We struggle. We make mistakes. But, but know this. There's a promise of God's word, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that before you ended up committing that sin, that God did, in fact, give you a way of escape. It's a promise of God's word. And here it says that we have a high priest, Jesus, who, who can sympathize with us because he was tempted in all points as we are tempted. So that means very simply that all the things that you face in life, Jesus faced the very same things. Now, we know some things in life that Jesus, as a human, in the kenosis, as he emptied himself, when he hung on a cross and he, and he bled for your sins and he was beat with a cat of nine tails 39 times, when they put a crown of thorns upon his head and they beat it into his head, when they put a bag on his head and they punched him in the face, when they spit upon him and ripped his beard out of, of his face, that he felt the pain of that like you and I will, meaning that he didn't use God powers to protect himself from physical pain. That Jesus, in the kenosis, in the emptying of himself, he, he willingly laid down some divine attributes in order to become like you and I. He was fully God and fully man theologically. Doctrinally, he was always 100% God and 100% man. What is that like? We'll never know. You, if you don't get it, it's okay. You've never been 100% man and 100% God, and you never will be. But Jesus was, and he set aside some divine attributes for a season. That's why Jesus was able to say that nobody knows the day or the hour. Only the Father in heaven, not even the angels nor the Son. Because he set aside some divine attributes as a human. And he faced these things in the flesh. And in the flesh, the Bible says that he was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he was without sin. You know, I've heard some people argue against this and say things like, well... Jesus, you know, I've been divorced, and Jesus never was married, so he never got a divorce, so he obviously faced that one. And it's just a false argument. Because any, anything in the temptation area that went with that, whether it was disobedience, whether it was a lack of love or devotion to God, or, or anything that went along with that sin, or what led to that sin, Jesus faced that and was tempted that. He was tempted in all points. And just take that as bond. He was tempted in all points as you and I are. So again, what's cool is that um, this is encouraging, and I hope I am not getting it the wrong way because it's supposed to be encouraging, listen, that, that God has compassion upon what you go through, that he cares for you. And, he, and when, you know, uh, when we struggle with things, right, one of the things that men struggle with universally, and you're just a liar if you don't, is lust. It's been a sin since, it's been a struggle with men since Job. Job was the first book that was ever written in the Bible. And Job says of, of the way that he would sometimes look at women, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes, Lord, that I might not sin against you. That when I see something that, that, that makes me want to lust or stare, Job said, Lord, I made a covenant with my eyes to, 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 to not sin in that way. But Job dealt with it. I don't know what the culture was like when, when Job lived, but I guarantee you there wasn't pornography on the Internet. 
There wasn't a, a million pornography videos in his, in his pocket. And today we live in a day where every one of you have a million pornography videos in your pocket right now. And all you got to do is pull it out. And they're there if you want them. And, and we live with a great temptation. But it is a struggle. It's a, it's a universal struggle. And we have um, a, a struggle as, as men in this way. Well, Jesus, he, he faced temptations. He faced those temptations. And when we face them, we know that we have a high priest who can be compassionate towards us. Amen? He, he, he feels for you. Okay? It doesn't mean he makes an excuse for you to sin. Oh, I understand. I face that temptation too, brother. Okay, yeah. Whenever you get done, just come see me and we'll try to get that right. You know? That, that, that's, that's not what he's saying. But, but listen, he's not judging you. Okay? Because I think that's what the world wants to tell you. He's not mad at you. If you've struggled with something, come to him. I don't care how many times you've come. The Bible says that God is, is, is a present help in time of need. Do you know what, the, what that means in plain English? That is always, as many times as you want to come to the Lord, God will welcome you. As many times as you brought the same problem and the devil is telling you and the enemy is whispering in your ear, you're a hypocrite, don't bring that problem to God anymore. You've already brought it a hundred times. He doesn't want to hear it. That's a lie. Because the Bible says keep bringing it. Keep coming and confessing it and God will meet you and God will help you and God will love you and he's got compassion for you. Amen? All right, we got like, give me like two more minutes. You guys are going to wrap this up. And it says, um, where are we at? Let us. Did you know that the Bible, you know, in, in Hebrews, the, first of all, we know who makes the coffee, Hebrews. And then here we, we know that God likes salad. So it says, let us. Therefore, somebody say therefore. Okay, what's, a, what's therefore in the Bible? Whenever you see therefore, you've got to know what it's there for. I always say this. I think it's the best way for me to understand therefore. It's an application word. It, it's doctrine. It's information. But here's what's cool about, about Paul, especially Paul in his teaching, is that Paul tells us, okay, there's all this information about God, but how does that affect my life? Or how do I apply that on a daily basis to be a better Christian? That's what the therefore is. The therefore is here's all this stuff. But here's how you apply it to your life. The, other, the last therefore we got was he said, therefore, in the same context, be diligent to seek this rest of God. We already unpacked that. Now he's going to say, therefore, since you have this information, since you have a great high priest who, who sympathizes with you, who has compassion with your weakness, who loves you in spite of, of your um, shortcomings, who invites you to ask for the grace of God, therefore... Let us come boldly. Somebody say boldly. Boldly to the throne of grace. Hey, do you know that we have a picture in Revelation? I have a note here, but I'm not, I ran out of time, so you just have to read it on your own. But you can read in Revelation in chapter 20 the description of the throne of God. It's very impressive. It says, come boldly to the throne of God that, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help in a time of need. And so God has invited you to come and expect God to bless you. Do you guys remember the heart of the sermon last week? The heart of the sermon last week in the rest of God was this. In a nutshell, in one sentence. God blesses you, your life in spite of you. Right? That God doesn't, it's not a, if I do good, then God blesses me. If I do bad, then God curses me. That's not God's economy. 
there, there is reward in blessing and there is, there is struggle and there is some curse in, in sin in your life. There's a natural um, law that goes into effect that God doesn't necessarily punish you or curse you, but that, you know, if you jump off a building, you're not going to fly for a short time, but eventually you're going to hit the ground and you're going to break your leg or you're going to hurt yourself. And then you don't say to God, well, well, why did you let my leg get broken? Well, I told you that there was gravity and don't jump off the building or you'll hurt yourself. And it's not God's fault. There's a natural um, response to some of the sins that we do in our lives. It's not necessarily God punishing us. But um, the, the concept, again, last week, we spent a whole sermon doing it, that God will bless you in spite of you. Listen, expect God to bless you. Come to the verse, verse 16, come to the throne of God, of, of grace and boldly come and ask God to bless you. Ask God to seek you. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to do what it is you want him to do in your life. I want to tell you something. I want you to, I want you to expect God to bless you. Amen? What if you say, well, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. No, you don't. Come anyways. Because you don't get a blessing because you deserve it. You get a blessing because you're a child of God. You get a blessing because the God that you serve is good. And the God that you serve decided, in spite of your shortcomings, to love you anyways and to bless you anyways. God wants to bless you because he's good. He wants to bless you because he's a good, good father and he loves you. And and, and so no matter how many times we've blown it, again, it's not a license for sin. You know what the enemies of, 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 of the simple teaching of the word of God say? Is that, is that, Pastor, you, you better be careful what you preach because you're giving people a license to then sin. No, we're not. Apostle Paul deals with that. We deal with that. He says, does that mean that, that, that I just go and sin because grace abounds? Paul said, certainly not. Where grace abounds, sin abounds also. But you know what happens? Listen, it's relational, right? Because that's what we talked about last week. That this, this whole divine system of rest and of God's blessing, it's all relational, it's all born out of being in the Word of God, being relational with Jesus. And, and as we're relational and you get close to Jesus, you, you, not that you, you have a license to sin, sure. You guys can do whatever you want. Listen, you can smoke all the pot you want. You can drink all you want. I can smoke all the pot I want. I can drink all the beer I want. Guess how much pot I smoke? Guess how much beer I drink? Why? Because I can No, because I don't want to. Because relationally I've spent time with Jesus and that's just not what's in my life. It's not what's in my heart. I don't, I don't necessarily don't do all those things because I'm afraid that God's going to hit me with something. If I sin, I don't do those things because I don't want to do those things. I don't do those things because as I get close to God relationally, I, I, he keeps me busy doing other things. And sure, I do have a little healthy fear of the consequences of some of those things. Like I would be deathly afraid of, of what God could or would do to me. Obviously, being a pastor in ministry, I'm sure I'd, I'd disqualify myself for ministry in some of those sins. But, but regardless for that, I don't do those things not because it's, it's written in stone somewhere. I don't do those things because I don't want to do them. Because I focus on relationship with Jesus and I come boldly to the throne of God. And God has just put something different in my heart. Amen? Amen. So, hey, I'm going to encourage you guys as the worship team comes up. We're going to close with a song. Um, this, this, this last verse, verse 16, let's look at it together. If you've already closed your Bibles, I'm going to wait for you to open them back up. Chapter 4, verse 16. Let's do it together on three. One, two, three. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So much there. How many of you guys need mercy? How many of you guys want grace? 
How many of you guys would like some help in a time of need? And so listen, you get one song, and then you get the rest of your life, the rest of your week, obviously. But one song as we gather together, let's stand together. And, and as we stand, hey, listen, enter, enter, come boldly to the throne of God. Whatever that means for you, whether it's grace, mercy, whether it's time of need, I want you to come in your heart. Remember we talked about the difference between soul and spirit? I want, I want everybody to be a person right now as we sing this last song, that as the Father is here looking for those that worship Him in spirit and in truth, that He would find you and that He would find you worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And then also we encourage you to come forward if you, if you need prayer. Come forward if you just want to say yes to Jesus. We're, we're up front. We'd love to pray for you individually. We'd love to encourage you. And, and, and so just spend this time, whatever your needs are, whatever, whatever your struggles are, whatever your sins are, I want you to leave them in here today. I want, I want you to know this. Listen, this is, this is true. God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He's a good, good father. And yes, if there's sin in your life, because he loves you, he knows that's hurting your heart and your life, and he doesn't want that for you. So he's asking you for your own good to lay it down, and he will help you with it. He will help you get better in that area. And if you've already laid it down and you picked it back up and you're embarrassed, he says, bring it. Bring it again. Bring it again. It's okay. You can't bring it too many times. I'm never going to get tired of dealing and helping you with this. And we'll just keep helping you with it until finally you don't go around that same mountain anymore. And no matter how many times you've been around that same mountain, the word of God says, bring it. And the enemy says, oh, you're not worthy. You don't deserve it. Yeah, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm coming anyway. Because the Bible gives me invitation. Because the high priest, the great high priest gives me invitation. Amen? So bring it. Bring it in silent prayer. Bring it if you want to come and, and have um, one, of the, one of the leaders and pastors pray for you. Just come. We'll pray for you. Or if not, you guys, you, you can do it on your own. You have a great high priest, and it's, it's not Pastor Jay. <laughs> as, as good of a prayer person as he is to love on you and pray for you when you come up, you got a high priest. His name is Jesus, and you can take it directly to him. You can take it directly to him. And you have just as much access to the throne of God as anybody. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we give you glory and honor. Lord, I pray that in this space right now in our church, Lord, that we would be a people that would commit the next three minutes to seeking you in spirit and in truth, that we would reflect and respond, Lord, to what the Spirit spoke to us through the reading and studying of the Word of God. Father, that we would be sincere. Lord, I pray for anybody that's hurting. I pray for anybody that wants to take verse 16 and apply it to our lives right now and come boldly to the, to the throne of grace and seek grace and mercy and, and God, that you said you're a present help in a time of need. And so, Lord, regardless, that's a pretty open invitation to come to your come to the throne of grace and receive from you that which we need. Lord, if it's repentance, help us to lay down our sins at your, at your feet right now to ask for your forgiveness. If it's salvation, maybe we don't have Jesus and we're not saved. Lord, that, that right now we would just ask Jesus in our hearts and we'd say yes to Jesus. And what we would come to the throne of grace to receive is everlasting life. And so, Father, we ask and that, that, Lord, for us as a church right now, three minutes of coming boldly and, and worshiping you in spirit and truth. Father, I love you. I thank you, Father. And, Father, I know according to the word, according to Jesus, that you're here right now. And what you're about to do is to, is to scan this room and to search for those who are worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And, Father, I pray that you would help every one of us to find that, that connection that really in our hearts, Lord, and if it's in our mind and we want that, 
Lord, help it to be in our hearts, God, that we would really worship you in spirit and in truth. And we know the multiple, multiple promises of the word of God that if we'll seek you with our whole hearts, that you'll be found. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship the Lord one song again. If you'd like individual prayer, we invite you to come forward.